This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 565, for June 28, 2017. Folks, welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. And joining me for this celebratory 10th anniversary of the iPhone episode, not really, sort of, uh, is Roman Loyola, senior editor of Macworld. Hello, Roman. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. That's, uh, what did you get uh, Apple for the 10th anniversary? This is the al- what, aluminum anniversary, I believe. Is that what it is, aluminum? Yeah, I think that's right. So, if it's I, not, I, it is I now. Think- I got him on an old uh, non-unibody uh, MacBook Pro that I have. <laughs> a plastic crackling <laughs> MacBook. Uh, I got the every dead Mac I've ever owned. I drove up to their doorstep. Um, yeah, it's the 10th anniversary of the iPhone, more or less. And um, uh, you and I were comparing notes before the show about how we both wrote. Well, I, I hadn't told you my story. You're, you should tell your story about um, – because uh, folks, you know, there's a lot of folks still in the tech industry who uh, got the phone early or got the phone after it was released and wrote reviews ten years ago. A lot of us are still kicking around, looking back at ten years. So, what was your experience when you had the uh, got the original iPhone for review? So, I did not work at MacWorld at the time. I worked for a competing publication called MacLive, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, which used to be Mac Addict. I worked at Mac Addict, and then they retransitioned to MacLive. Oh, yeah, so, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, when the iPhone came out, I was not assigned the review, um, but I did end up reviewing it for one of MacLive's sister publications in the UK called Tech Radar. And the thing was, uh, since Tech Radar, Radar was a general tech site, a tech enthusiast site, where MacLife was supposed to be you know, a Mac enthusiast site, I was supposed to be more... Uh, neutral in terms of the review and you know so I couldn't be um, you know I had to be more I guess unbiased I I don't know I don't (laughs) want to say biased but I did I had to lay off the Apple slant as much as possible and you know I had totally forgotten what I wrote in that review you know 10 years ago and so I went back and read it uh, recently and i didn't realize that at the end of the review i actually said that you might be better off waiting for the second generation iphone so i, I don't know if any other i don't i don't re- recall any other reviews saying that i may have been like maybe one of the only ones i didn't i didn't hate on the iphone i actually liked it a lot but it was one of those things where i said you know this is the first one if you're so excited to get the first one go right ahead mm-hmm. but as with a lot of apple products the second and third ones are usually what they had in mind when they created this product. Right, exactly, exactly. This technology catches up with what Apple wants to do. So, I mean, because back then it was, what, 2G and, uh, you know, s- slower processors. And then when 3G came out, that's when uh, the iPhone kind of, like, was able to sort of, get closer to its um to what apple had for one had in mind for it so oh that's so that was my yeah so that was my experience with reviewing the first iphone so i you know you'll be amazed maybe that i had a very similar experience which was oh, yeah yeah i had uh, gotten access um so i was writing for the seattle times uh as a freelancer at the time and, and had for many years and uh apple surprisingly in january of 2007 at the announcement at um uh 
their announcement event, they said, uh, oh, yeah, coming back for a briefing. And they handed me an iPhone to look at, not to keep, obviously, since January. And I was shocked. I didn't think, uh, you know, and within a few years, the Seattle Times and uh, and me uh, dipped too far below Apple's radar because they – and I've talked about this before. Apple PR um, dealt with a lot of lovely people there, uh, but they really do – they play favorites in the sense that they don't care about the trade press that much or uh, particular people. They're really looking for – this mix of um, because they have to be actually more particular. They have thousands and thousands of reporters and other media people who want to gain access to events and so forth. And um, I fell off that list after the original iPad launch. I went to that and then I was never invited again. And I kind of get it. At the same time, I'm irritated because I feel like I'm in the community and I'm writing about it. The other point, it's like, you know, I'm not Bloomberg. I'm not a big outlet. And, um, and I know Macworld's had this issue over time as well that like as a tr- as a trade publication when this aimed at consumers and so forth that changes. So anyway, so <laughs> this is back when uh, you know I met with Wa or not Waz Jaws, uh, Greg Jaws react. He's like, Yeah, here, hold this play. And I'm like, Can I play with it? Yeah. And so I'm spent, I don't know, ten or twenty minutes asking questions and messing around with it. And it was totally it was like touching something from the future. But six months goes by, and I'm not going to get a review unit. I wasn't even sure if I was going to buy an iPhone on the day of launch, which I did in the end. Uh, uh, but uh, I hear from a friend. He says, hey, you know, um, New York Post is looking for someone to write something up about this. And I know you touched one of these things. Do you want to write for them? And I got in touch, and I wrote a piece for the New York Post. I was just checking. It's not online. The New York Post's archives are terrible. You know, terrible New York tabloid with uh, 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 a headless body. What was it? Um, their great oh, right, headline was right. like nude headless body stabbed or something headless body headless body found in topless bar. That's right, the headline. Right. I don't think that's theirs, but um, so I wrote a, a piece for them, and it got a little edited uh, with a sensational headline before it went up. And I uh, later apologized to Jaws, like I don't apologize to Apple, but I was like, you know, this really uh, this uh, thing the post posted was not exactly what I gave them, but you know. Anyway, they posted it as if it were a review, and I made it very clear that I'd only touched the device six months before, and I was talking about it as potential. Um, so that was funny. And I got, oh, my God, the hundreds, was it thousands of negative comments about how I was so anti-Apple and I must hate Apple. It cracked me up. But the funny part, too, was that I think I came up with the same take you did. Um, it's not that funny. I think, and I think a lot of the early reviews, if you go back, they were like, great first draft, but maybe you should wait. And mine was – Great first draft, and you should definitely wait because 3G will be out soon enough. And what was it? Was it six months later that the iPhone 3G shipped? I don't even remember. Um, and the ed- Edge service was only a couple hundred kilobits per second. AT&T's network was totally overwhelmed. And um, no, I'm sorry. It was, a, it was actually a full year later that the iPhone 3G came yeah, out, June 9th, yeah. 2008. So I'm, I'm exaggerating. Um, but I felt like uh, for me, so then I went out and bought one. Right, I went out to watch the line. We have a mall near us, a lifestyle mall, outdoor lifestyle mall, which is hilarious in a place that rains as much as Seattle. And I went out to see the lines of the Apple Store because we had an early Apple Store too. So I'm like, well, this will be interesting. I'll just go out. I'll get in line. We'll see how it goes. So I get in line there for a bit, and then I get word from uh, maybe from Jeff Carlson or somebody else that the AT&T store in the same mall, like literally a few hundred feet away, had a much shorter line. But you had to sign up with. Um, you ha- they sometimes were forcing people to buy weird accessories or add-ons, and this store was not. So I went in that line. I waited with like 50 people instead of 600 or something, and I got a phone within, I don't know, an hour or something like that. And um, and then later I got the discount uh, coupon because uh, Steve Jobs said, all right, maybe we did overcharge for this, and he gave us money back. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was like – you know, I just spent – 
the of the previous year, Jeff Carlson and I had spent uh, weeks researching smartphones and uh, and for MacWorld for a big MacWorld feature. We looked at every smartphone offering and how they worked with Mac for Mac users. So at the time, it was uh, you know a BlackBerry. Symbian. Uh, well, actually, we barely mentioned Symbian because the support in the U.S. was so low from carriers. Uh, Windows uh, Phone, uh, whatever they called it then, the Win- uh, PC. What do they call? I don't even remember what they called the operating system. Um, but all that. Anyway, so Jeff and I had just spent all this time, and we're like, we knew all the deficiencies, all the problems. And then here's Apple with a phone that answers not all of them, but a lot of them, including the keyboard. Like the input was the big thing on a lot of these devices. So I bought one of those, even after writing a thing that said. Uh, you should probably wait because, uh, you know, this is the first draft and the next one will be a lot better and you'll get 3G and Apple's just waiting for the chipsets to be available, that the battery life will be good because all of the 3G, like there was all this criticism. Do you remember this? That like the phone came out and everyone's like, oh, it only does edge, it only does edge. Not pointing out that the competing 3G phones had terrible battery life, like maybe hours right. if right. you were lucky. Plus the data pricing was so terrible that no one really wanted to use 3G. So anyhow, that was that yeah. was ten years ago. I think it's worked out okay, huh? It seems like it. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. It was, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, it was a funny thing. I was just found John John Gruber referenced my article, um, and I would have thought he would have gone, you know, old school on my behind uh, back in two thousand seven. But he said, you know, headline: Glenn Fleischman warns against buying iPhone in New York Post. And he said, eh, this is true. This is probably be the worst. He said, the original iPhone will probably be the worst iPhone Apple ever makes. There's no end to this <laughs> logic. By the time the next one's available, you can wait another year. Um, and he said, to me, yeah, but this is interesting. He said, to me, the most tempting reason to wait isn't the next-gen iPhone, but to see if the next-gen iPhone or next-gen iPad, sorry, let me <laughs> to see if the next-gen iPod is like an iPhone without the phone and thus contract. And as we know, it took a while for the iPod um, – Oh my God! What are they? I can't even remember the name of it. What do you call the iPod? That's um, the iPod Touch. Oh my God! You know it's funny. I could, I've I've so blanked out the product even exists. Yeah, it took a little while for the iPad iPod Touch to uh, come out. It's um, I think. Gosh, what was it? It was a ways later um, that they released it. It was not. Was it the next year or was it later? Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it didn't come out at the same time as the iPhone. Oh, and here we go. It was September 2007. That's funny. I actually thought it was much later, but it oh, was so really it did come. Okay. Yeah, isn't that hilarious? I thought it was a year uh because I thought they were worried about undercutting the iPhone and they didn't. They put it out that quickly. Oh, it's so funny. And the last release, of course, was uh 2 years ago now. So, we'll see what happens. It's I mean, we we wound up buying a couple of iPod touches because they were really great. Um, I was just, you know, this is how far things have come. It's remember how hard it was to uh, deal with carriers and set everything up back 10 years ago. Uh, we had an old iPhone 5. Uh, one of my kids is going to be traveling by bus a lot this summer for camps. So we're like, all right, we, we want to get the cheapest plan. And by the way, here's a good tip. I looked at all the plans, talked to a lot of people. T-Mobile has an amazing casual plan. You pay them 10 bucks, it includes a, a rebate. So it's 10 bucks plus tax. They ship you a SIM. You stick it in the and activate the plan. And it's three dollars a month for thirty minutes of calls and thirty minutes of texts and no cell data. Then it's ten cents a minute or text after that, and it's the lowest plan I could find. And I mean, obviously they're using it as a gateway drug. They want you to do that, and they're like, "Oh, maybe I should get a full forty-five dollar a month plan because then whatever." But my uh, my son will be near Wi-Fi when he needs it. He can text us or call us in an emergency, or you know, if a bus is late. And if he goes over, it's ten cents. We're not going to like run up a thousand dollar bill, and he knows he's going to be responsible for the cost. So 
Um, it was just a matter of, you know, popping a SIM in, uh, going on a site, unlock an AT&T to unlock the phone, which you can do entirely through their website. You don't even have to call them. And, um, cause the phone's been off plan for years and, uh, that's how easy it is today. I have T-Mobile and, but I've been hesitant to give my son a, uh, uh, a mobile plan just because he's constantly on his phone when when, when oh. he is connected to Wi-Fi. So even if I got that lower price plan, it would probably I would probably blow th- he would probably blow through it because uh, well, he's texting a lot with his friends oh, and stuff. So. Yeah, if he's not on Wi-Fi and you can text, uh, if he certainly starts using SMS. I mean, you know, you look at you have that uh, one month in which he has to pony up 50 bucks from his allowance or something, his savings, right. and then maybe they never do it again. I had yeah. that come up into the child, but it was with uh, long distance calls and uh, BBSs of the day. Very different thing. <laughs> well, so yeah. 10th anniversary of the iPhone, folks. Uh, we've uh, got an article up at macworld.com about uh, what the next 10 years might look like. And uh, iPhone is certainly, uh, it's funny, it would be an exaggeration to say it changed the world, but it's certainly ushered in a different era of how people are interacting with um, information access and uh, it changed comp it changed compu- it changed the computing world it changed expectations and um, you know having these very personal devices I think uh, I think the jury's still out whether it was good or bad we'll find out um, yeah. tw- Twitter makes it hard to determine whether it was good or bad yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, all right on to the future Roman uh, I have, oh just what can what, I plug one thing oh, of course oh yeah yes please. So, uh, Macworld on Wednesday, well, this is, you're hearing this on Wednesday. The listeners are hearing this on Wednesday. We're recording this actually on Tuesday. So, uh, by the time you hear this podcast, we will have recorded on Wednesday morning, a, uh, live video show that we're posting to Facebook or that was being broadcast to Facebook. And then we'll post later to the Macworld site. Uh, so, uh, and it's basically, me and Jason Snell from SixColors.com, who actually was the editorial director here at Macworld for a very long time, and he did the review of the first iPhone for Macworld. So it'll be me and him and uh, Oscar Raimundo, who covers iOS for um, Macworld. He's a staff writer here. We'll be having a little chat. Uh, Like I said, by the time you hear this podcast, the broadcast would have happened on Facebook, but we're going to post a video of it on macworld.com. So take a look at the website if you're interested in watching that video. Yeah, go to, uh, so it'll be, oh yeah, macworld.com, or I assume you can also go to facebook.com slash macworld, where you should go there and click like. Sure, go click like. Yes, yes. Go follow that thing. Um, and that's where also, by the way, if you're trying to, uh, because comments are no longer offered on macworld.com, you can actually interact with people um, over at Facebook, if that is your thing. If you do the Facebook thing, you can uh, respond to articles and uh, get some feedback. Um, all right, so in the, the future, since we're living in the future, we know that iOS 11 is coming. We've talked about it a bunch the last few weeks. I have still not installed it because there are too many dangerous stories, even though public beta 1 is out. And I uh, honestly suggest that people don't install it. I am hearing too, there, there are too many things that are not working exactly right or that are broken in this release. So if you expect to have um, – and uh, people have had phones bricked and had to go through elaborate me- measures to uh, get them working again. So my advice to people is, uh, you know, A, you should never put this on a production phone that you need to use in your day-to-day life. Like maybe later public betas, maybe. But this one you certainly shouldn't. B, uh, you might just wait for another public beta or two. There's nothing so exceptional and exciting in this release 
that you will flip out if you can't have it unless you're um, you know doing development. And we'll talk about some of that in a minute. If you're a developer, of course, you're going to have test devices and be working on it. Or if you're really you know, working at a company that really needs to think about what's coming this fall, of course, then you should try to find a test device, find an old phone that's new enough to run iOS 11 and install it. My oldest phone, the one I'm giving to my – well, my kids will share as they need it – is just before the 64-bit cutoff, so it cannot run iOS 11. It runs iOS 10, uh, but it will not run iOS 11. So you have to find a device that's new enough to run it, which is a, quite a few pieces of devices, or quite a few uh, uh, pieces of equipment. So um, there's that. Yeah, I could see if somebody has an iPad Pro that they might be interested in running the beta because they want to use some of the iP- right. new iPad Pro features. I think all that um, wor- I think all that works or should work. This things like I think some car integration doesn't work and it's yeah. just, you know, it's not I, I don't blame Apple. They're putting it out there with a, a lot of provisos and um but I think it's worth just emphasizing some years it's like, yeah, this public beta is pretty good. Everyone's having good luck with it. You should do it. This one I'm like, ah, I'm not doing it. I need to get work done and I'm going to read about it because there's nothing, you know, I focus a lot on security, privacy, encryption, uh, and, um, and then often some things like account management and especially for the Mac 911 column, I'm always looking into what the pain points are for people. And iOS 11 doesn't have anything that's significantly different for people. Um, I'll be very interested in the photographic and video formats, uh, but that is a separate, that's sort of like a, um, I mean, that's a point of academic interest, but we can talk about those formats now. They exist, and they're really cool. I keep um, studying more about them. Uh, but those will uh, – those, you know, you'll be able to use them when you have iOS 11 installed, but it simply won't make a difference in terms of, like, what you're doing because it's seamless. It's behind the scenes. So – oh, and just by the way, I, we had this confusion, you and I, a few weeks ago because Apple's – documentation was so weird about this. The files app for file browsing on iOS does work on all iOS devices. I can't tell you how many pages and sites I went to. And I finally saw someone who ran through the iOS public beta did a rundown and just blatantly said, yes, files works on the iPhone. I'm like, I don't know why. I mean, this is again, if we've been able to install a beta and felt comfortable about it, we'd know, but I'm, I'm happy to be behind the curve in this particular time because of the roughness of what's going on with that. Uh, also, good tenth uh, anniversary note. Roman uh, Virgin Mobile is doing this fascinating thing. It's going to go iPhone only. I don't know if you saw that announcement. I think it was it this week or last week. I just uh, heard about this yesterday. Yeah. Uh, it's a very yeah, it's, interesting offer. It's interesting. It's um, the thing is to me um, the the one of the issues is that T Mobile is basically using this or not T Mobile yeah. Virgin Mobile is using the uh, Sprint network. And I used to have Sprint before I before I went to T-Mobile, and I know this was years ago. And Sprint's different now, or at least their advertising says they're different now. But I did not have a good experience with Sprint, so it's there were a lot of gaps in the uh, coverage, and uh, the speed wasn't quite there. You know, maybe it's different now. Again, that was years ago. It's but I do find it interesting that. You know, Virgin Mobile is basically dedicating itself to this one platform, and there are a lot of incentives for people to sign up too. You know, oh my gosh, the, yeah, yeah. There's what there's like a, a free ticket to the U, airplane ticket to the UK is one of them, I think. Yeah, you get a um, if you purchase. I mean, it's, I, we could list off. There's so many, but you if you purchase a round trip economy Virgin Atlantic flight between you know like over an eight month period you get a companion ticket for taxes and fees. And there's things like you can buy 
15 bottles of wine from Virgin Wines for 60 bucks, which is worth 230 <laughs> Virgin Hotel, 20% off Virgin America flights, which is now weird because Alaska Airlines owns Virgin America. So I don't know how that'll play out. But yeah, Sprint is the worst network by far, but I don't know how much worse it is. I think in relative terms, they kept pushing to build their network out. And they also have a roaming agreement with Verizon for areas that each company doesn't cover. And I know Verizon has their, you know, we cover 99 point whatever percent of the country. Um, there still are places where there's coverage issues, and but then there's this limitation I think both carriers have where if you use more than 300 megabytes of data or something else in each – the other territory, they can cancel your account the next month without any warning. Like, okay, you're clearly living in an area we don't really have coverage, so – or you traveled to an area we don't have coverage, so we're canceling your account. Um, I don't know if they're still doing that, but that was a big deal uh, at one point. So, um, yeah, but the, the, the main offer though, is if you buy an iPhone and you, so, so you have to, it's is a bring your own phone deal. You can get six months of service for a buck, or if you do it by July 31st, you get 12 months of service or a dollar. And then you have to transfer your number to version mobile, of course. Um, and, uh, then, uh, it's 50 bucks a month with auto pay after that. And it's unlimited talk, text, 4g data. Uh, they throttle after 23 gigabytes or they may, and they also optimize video, music and gaming, they uh, throttle that down to a lower level. Um, but here's the the wild thing is, you know, you wonder like, okay, how are they making money off this? Because you can, um, oh, I'm sorry, you have to buy the phone. Sorry, you have to buy the phone from this. It's not a BYOB deal, a BYOP deal, I should say. Um, you have to buy the phone from Virgin Mo- Mobile, or they have significant discounts. So uh, I don't quite get how they make money, except they're just trying to acquire customers like Mad and undercut other carriers, uh, which will help Sprint because Sprint has had this huge hemorrhage um, of customers and T-Mobile's deals have been so amazing. So potentially this is a way for, for uh, Sprint to massively increase its network and then have this huge number of people who will start paying them uh, that they can book as future revenue for uh, – financial analysts to be happy about them with. Uh, no, it says you can wait. Six. Virgin's clear. You can also buy any current phone from Apple if you prefer the coverage I'm reading. I don't, I don't understand this. I think it's all about customer acquisition. Although, you know, the, the cellular carriers I've read in the past, they can spend hundreds of dollars to customer for acquisition. And because of uh, cell phone number portability, which was added a few years ago, that makes lets you take your number anywhere. Uh, that uh, cost of acquisition is sometimes not recoverable. So you, someone you know, brings their own phone or they whatever, or they pay, they buy it out. Um, they're on the service for uh, a year, and then they switch, and that three hundred dollars you paid to acquire the customer is gone. You haven't recovered it from what they pay you. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I assume this is just a like reverse deal. Like they're actually eating the network costs to get customers during that period of time making it essentially like a zero cost way for the people to come in and they're spending less on marketing as a result. Very interesting. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they can compete. You know, it's yeah. I mean, I think Apple was rumored to be, you know, wanting to buy a cell carrier for a long time or become a uh, mobile virtual network operator, MVNO, which uh, they lease uh, access to other networks and Virgin, Mobile is an MVNO, but because it's owned by Sprint, it doesn't, you know, it's leasing from its own company. All the other MVNOs just about went out of business or got bought by um, carriers because they couldn't offer enough uh, relative to what people wanted as a, as a third-party reseller, essentially. So Virgin Mobile, I think it's the last big one, and it's part of Sprint. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess if you're looking for a phone, though, I mean, this is, you know, hey, you're looking for a kid's phone. It's like buying a 
iPhone, uh, virginal cellular, a mobile cellular iPhone SE for $280, which is a $120 discount, and then give you service for a buck for 12 months. So, you know, read the fine print, but <laughs> maybe not a bad offer for additional phone. Um, so speaking of iOS 11, which we were a moment ago, thought we'd uh, bring up um, ARKit, the augmented reality uh, toolkit that's available to developers. Uh, Roman, I put a link in the show notes, and uh, I know you haven't had a chance to look at this yet, but it's um, yeah. some really amazing stuff. There's a, a Twitter account and a website, a Twitter account called Made with ARKit. It's not an Apple site. It's third party uh, or Apple account, rather. And um, it's just showing examples of what developers are posting just a few weeks in uh, with ARKit. And the one that got a lot of attention a few days ago was one that used a uh, measurement. So it's a virtual measuring tool and they put this together, obviously, you know, in a couple weeks or maybe less. And so you can uh, literally point to a spot in real life and then point it to another spot and it'll measure it. It'll tell you the distance. And as you move around, AR kit lets you put fixed spots into reality, like on a coordinate plane and tracks them through all the different tools in an iPhone. So when you go away and come back, those fixed spots remain fixed um, we know that IKEA is going to be offering a um, uh, AR kit based furniture tool, uh, which is cool. <laughs> It'll be fun. You can put it in your own house. But I realized talking to my wife about this, I was explaining it to her, and uh, she's fascinated, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> in my house, she's the early rejector. This is her term. She's like, yeah, let's wait till it's something real. Um, but I realized with an iPhone uh, with two cameras, like the 7 Plus and ostensibly future ones, because Apple's offering access to the depth map, as just a feature that developers can use between they can use the differential of the two cameras uh, to Apple produces a um, kind of 2D uh, stereoscopic view. So it tells you how far things are in rough terms and planes and, and it uh, delivers that information to developers. Now they want to use it. So imagine this, you have room scan app and you walk around your house and it builds up a three dimensional model, just moving the camera around that tells you what areas need coverage. Suddenly you have a 3d model of your house then you walk into Ikea or a, or a vintage uh, furniture store or um, whatever, whatever the main stores are. Levitt's still around? They're probably not around, right? <laughs> yeah. No, you'll love it at Levitt's? Uh, and you, no, I think they went out of business. I yeah. think so. I think all the uh, – uh, Furniture USA I know did as well for those folks who – I grew up there long ago. Um, so you walk into a store and you're thinking, well, maybe I want to buy that couch. So then you use this depth – program you know i'm just inventing room room place finder app you walk around this new couch you want it creates a depth map of it identifies it as a thing and then on the phone you place the um couch into your virtual house you're carrying around with you or you hold up your phone or ipad at, at the couch and it shows the couch in your home so it's doing the reverse it's using the couch as the actual reality in your home around it so all these interesting opportunities uh once you have access to both depth mapped information with two cameras, uh, but AR kit by itself also will have all these uh, fascinating ideas. I'm just thinking, you know, you're trying to measure the size of something to hang on the wall, right? And you'll just be able to go tap, 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 tap. It'll tell you what it is. You'll be able to put a point on the wall you want it to hang and it'll stay there. And then you can uh, be looking at it and say, no, honey, up, no, up a little down. No, the nail needs to go. <laughs> no, last week um, on Amazon, I bought a, uh, a three pack of uh, these cheap, really cheap tape measures. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because because I don't know how many times I've well, like been somewhere like I need to measure this, and I look at my phone. And I go, 
and I really can't. There's no real way to use my phone for this. Not I yet. need a tape measure. And so I finally went and bought like a cheap $5 three pack of oh tape my gosh. measures. It's right. It's plus or minus one inch for every inch. That's the uh, problem with it. The <laughs> right. Accuracy thing, may yeah. vary. Right. Uh, pro, pro tip, folks. I learned this. I am nearing fifty years old. I just learned this last year. The little metal thing at the end. Roman, tell me if you know this because I want to feel at least like I have company. The little metal thing at the end of a tape measure. If you pull against it, it means that you're measuring exactly where that is up to a zero point. If you push against it, it pushes in, so you're measuring to a zero point. I didn't realize that's why it moved around. Yes, I did. I oh. did know that. <laughs> I, I even built stuff. I used to build, I've built bookcases in my house. I used to do theater construction. I did all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, just folks, just let me tell you, you can still learn things even when you're as old as I am. All right. Um, hey, so Rowan, uh, iPad Pro, you just mentioned that a moment ago, the iPad Pro. Um, Jeff Carlson wrote up a article from Macworld about how iPad Pro is now a true photographer's tool. Um, this seems like uh, an increasing, uh, I don't want to say a trend, but I know that uh, since it's been a few years that iPad software uh, came out that was intended more for photographic professionals, like, you know, have a portable darkroom. And Jeff's been doing iPad photography for a while. Um, but I'm sort of, uh, you know, I'm really impressed. Like, this is the latest one where he's saying this is really now uh, for it. I mean, th- this seems like a a really interesting market niche, doesn't it? To have an iPad pro that not just for creative professionals who are working on stuff on the device, but being able to, you know, go out and shoot um, and then, and, or edit on it. Yeah. I think this is one of the, you know, I think we, you know, we were talking about for the iPhone, we're talking about how, you know, the second generation, the third generation is really where where you want to go. And I think that, you know, this is an example of that again, where the first generation iPad pro you know, it was good for a certain range of uh, task and a certain audience, but it just wasn't quite there yet for photographers. And now we're, this is still, what, the second generation? Well, it's the first generation of the 10-inch iPad Pro, but, it's the you know, it's, second for, well, it's sort of, it's weird because it's the second generation for the 12.9-inch, right? But it's, but at some level, because they released uh, the interim 10 point, uh, or 9.7-inch was in the meantime, and I felt like they stuck they stuck uh, a true tone into that. So at some level, the 12.9 inch is almost a third generation because they went through right. an intermediate model as well, even though it wasn't the larger size. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, as the iPo- iPad Pro has gone along in, in years, it's gotten, you know, technology's finally caught up, and it's it's now have, it now has the hardware to handle things like raw files. It has the throughput that... It can to handle that kind of stuff, uh, and it can handle you know it handles uh, the the pro software a lot better. It's it's you don't have that bottleneck of the performance anymore. So uh, yeah, if you you know if if you're into photography and you know you carry a lot of gear and even a MacBook is just too heavy. MacBook may not even have what the performance you want, and the iPad Pro is a pretty quick performer. Yeah. Even in certain tasks, it goes, it blows by the MacBook. So, you know, that, that a 10 X fusion processor is pretty impressive. And, you know, I think Apple even undersold that processor a little bit. It's a lot more powerful than people, than people know. It's got head, it's got headroom to grow as they add more features, I think, which is often something Apple does. And it seems like they're, um, they, they put in more processing power than something can take advantage of, 
initially, and then everything spreads to fill that. Yeah. Uh, Jeff also knows USB three. Uh, the twelve point nine inch model had had USB three transfer rates over Lightning when it first came out. The nine point seven inch iPad Pro, the one I offer, uh, uh, sorry, the one I own, I bought that model only does USB two, so less tr- appealing to uh, photographers. But the new Got to look at the number. What is it? 10 point, what size is it? The 10 point? 10.5. 10.5. Thank you. I wish they gave them names. 10.5 inch one <laughs> also has USB 3. So that's uh, terrific. So you can do P3 color gamut for um, both the new models. Uh, the I, the 9.7, I'm sorry, all three models have P3 now that I should say, because the, the originally um, the 12.9 inch uh, model was missing a couple things. Was it P3? They're missing a couple things that the 9.7 inch added, but now all three of them have uh, have the P3 color space support, which is also in the um, the iPhone 7 series. And I was taking a bunch of photos on an iPhone um, 7 Plus. Uh, I have an iPhone 6S and a 7 Plus. I bought the 7 Plus for photography and thought, well, it'll never become my main phone. And so far it hasn't. But the 6S is not uh, – I think now because we're almost at new iPhones, I'm going to wind up selling my 6S or keep it as a backup you know, testing device, sell the 7 Plus and get whatever the 7S Plus is since I should get a newer device so I can you know, write about the newer stuff and maybe make that new plus my main phone. So I just have to have bigger pockets. Um, but I love shooting on it and you can edit – you know, I've been shooting with apps – that do raw and some allow you to edit raw in the seven plus. It's not nearly as powerful as the iPad pros, but it's powerful enough. It's pretty incredible to edit raw files in P3 mode with that rich extra color gamut, um, all in device. So it's pretty slick. Yeah. Jeff point does point out that the one obstacle that might be there for a lot of photographers is a lack of, of Photoshop. Uh, you know, a lot of people that's, that's their go-to app and they don't want to use anything else. And, you know, a lot of people have invested years and years into that app. They know that app like the back of their hand and they don't want to use anything else. And I I totally understand that. You know, if you, if you have a favorite tool and you have to use something else, it's just not the same. And it, it can even be an inhibitor to your creative process if you have to use a different tool. So that's the one, uh, one obstacle that Jeff points out. Uh, yeah, that Affinity uh, Photo software that got demonstrated, uh, 20 bucks discounted price now, 30 eventually. Um, Jeff had good things to say about it. People were really kind of blown away um, by it. I have not installed it yet. I'm going to have to get a copy of it because I, 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 I've been underwhelmed by some of the tools available on the iPad Pro. I've got the Pencil. I've got the iPad Pro. And I find that um, for me, it hasn't been as effective as I'd like. So this... This makes a difference um, difference for me as well. Uh, yeah, so iPad Pro for photographers. Now it's your portable darkroom, potentially. I know a lot of people like to be editing in the field, and a laptop is sometimes too much to carry, um, even the smaller ones. Uh, and the performance of this is so much higher than comparable-sized laptops that uh, this may be a uh, – you know, Jeff is at the leading edge of that, <laughs> using this. Um, Roman, you were able to uh, – Get a hold of the uh, 21.5-inch iMac for review, and that review is now up. Um, that's yeah. up since last week, right? I think that's the newer review. Oh, yeah. Posted on Monday. Uh, it's the the model that I reviewed is the 1499 model. Mm-hmm. So that's the high-end 21-inch uh, iMac, and that has a, a 
crap. I can't remember. I'm, I'm, <laughs> gonna, look, I'm gonna look it up. There's so many options. Uh, 3. 3. 4, 4. Yeah, I was gonna say a 3.4 gigahertz quad core i5 processor. That's a KB, and this, these are KB like uh, iMacs. So I took a look at that iMac. Um, if you compare it to the 2015 iMac, uh, the performance is it's a bump. It's not. But it's not nearly as impressive as the bump that you get if you compare it to older iMacs. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have a 2015 iMac and you're thinking about upgrading, I would maybe say maybe wait till next year. But there is one benefit in that um, Apple did not come out with Skylake uh, 21-inch iMacs. Right, right. And both Skylake and KB Lake have the optimization for uh, HEVC video. Uh, KB Lake has the optimization for 10-bit HEVC, otherwise known as H.265 video. So uh, if you work in video a lot and you have a 2015 iMac, you might want to consider upgrading to the KB Lake uh, iMac. But if if you just do regular work on it, uh, you're probably doing fine if you have a 2015 iMac. Well, it's complicated yep. too because if you're shooting, if if you're working for H.264 output or working with, if that's your compression format output, which is the previous one, then it has uh, it has hardware support for that. But if you right, if you're doing the minute you start working with this newer stuff, some of the research or some of the uh, uh, background I've been reading on HEVC is that it can take up to ten times the processing power. Uh, as H.264. So suddenly right. if you're working and Apple will allow software support in all Macs to work with HEVC, but <laughs> you're, you're let's export this file as H.264. Boom. It's done. Let's up- export it H.265 in software. It's like three days later you come back. So right. anybody working with that, especially the, the uh, higher bit depth, that 10 bit depth color, because uh, there's even an issue if you have a Skylake, which um, right, you can't get a Skylake iMac in this size was either the previous one, uh, for the fifth generation Intel, or now you can get a seventh generation one that doesn't even support 10 bit HEVC. You have to have KB Lake for it. So I think a lot of people right. working in that will want this uh, on a newer one. Yeah. And then, you know, there's also, I mean, if you're really into the video stuff, you might, you know, I would say even wait for the iMac Pro, which is coming out at the end of the year. So, because, I mean, it's a $5,000 machine. But yeah, but you're spending but, your whole time. Yeah. People who's, who's, you know, being paid. Fifty to two hundred fifty thousand dollars to work on video, somewhere in that range, probably towards the middle of that. Um, Five thousand dollar machine is a tiny investment compared to like a you know two thousand dollar machine, and they're also they're probably sticking ten and twenty thousand um, dollar SSDs and RAIDs and stuff on its peripherals. So the the Mac cost becomes almost nominal compared to the other expenses of running the video operation. Yeah, and the other major feature that. This new iMac has is it's base you know it has a brighter screen, uh, oh and it, so and, and it's nicer you know it's I always thought the iMac screen was nice to begin with, so to make it brighter for to me was sort of like yeah we made it you know they, they made it brighter because they could I don't know if that if it necessarily mm-hmm. makes the images look better, um, so it's brighter it's not to me it's not a reason to switch from your old iMac. Um, and the one big thing that was, uh, that about this 21 inch iMac is that the Ram is upgradable. Now it's not easily accessible and Apple 
told me when they briefed me on the uh, iMac that they recommend that you bring the iMac to an Apple store and have them do it. Uh, but the RAM is no longer uh, a, a component of the motherboard. It's it, There are now slots, and the slots make it easy to install new RAM. I mean, if you're daring enough and, you know, the peop- the folks at iFixit did a teardown, uh, you could do it yourself. It's Is it it's that pretty- hard? I thought they don't have the- – I've got a 27-inch – I just bought a 27-inch iMac, and it's got a tiny compartment with a button you press. Yeah, the 27-inch iMacs, you know, they made it easy because all you have to do is – turn the thing around and there's a little compartment this is why i got confused i actually paid the apple tax and got a a 32 gig not a 64 gig 32 gig um 27 inch imac because i misunderstood i thought they both were going to be hard to upgrade now i misunderstood that they're that i looked at apple's upgrade instructions in the end i think i probably paid a 200 plus premium for the ram that i got from apple however i have an all apple device i bought apple care for it i always buy apple care for things with screens my thing it was like i think apple care plus is 170 bucks and it includes screen repair so if this falls off a table you know but so um so relatively low price compared to the price of the computer but the thing was um if I have any problems, I don't have to deal with the Apple. Well, your third-party RAM is probably the issue. I'll need to take it out and replace it and test. I'm like, ah, oh, no. So someday, this is an upgradable machine. So someday, I may opt when 64 gigabyte update is um, cheaper. Now it's way too expensive for what I need. But I can future-proof this. So when I'm running, you know, uh, Mac OS 10. You know, 17. Um, Upper Lake Tahoe or something, whatever it's yeah. called then, the slopes of, of Mount Shasta, um, yeah. then I can just pop the button in the back and stick it in. And the same thing for the, for the 21 and a half inch. They may have to take it to a store, but it's so nice to be able to know that we have headroom because 32 gigabytes right. is pretty sweet. I got to say, I've never had a Mac that had this much RAM, uh, but 64 gigabytes will probably be a you know necessity in the future and I can get there too. And so, yeah. That's yeah, cool. so just just to clarify, the tw- the new twenty one inch iMacs do not have uh, a compartment in the back that allow you to access the RAM. You have to literally take the iMac apart, and I, you know, it's pretty it's a pretty intricate po- process. People have done it. I, I've even done it before, um, but there's always the risk that you're going to do something wrong. So. If you bring it into the store, I mean, there's some uh, assurance there that, you know, even if they screw up something, they, they can fix it. So, and you may not even know that they screwed up something because they fixed it. So, uh, whereas the 27 inch IMAX have a compartment, you just turn, you just go to the back. I, I guess you basically push, push it. I don't remember exactly, but it, it flips open and then you could add new RAM in yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's 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 the main difference with the twenty seven and the twenty one inch. So. I still feel silly that I didn't realize it, but I also I feel like I mean this is self this is how economics works, you know, the psychology of economics. I'm like, well, I've already paid the money, so now I'm gonna tell myself how smart I was. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would but but there is that issue. I have faced this with Apple before, especially with laptops. So you installed your own RAM, you gotta change the RAM out and test it before we'll do anything right. with it. I think they're less right. harsh about that now. But I'm happy to have an all Apple product protected by an Apple warranty. And then anything goes wrong, I'm like, it's your fault. It's your RAM. You replace it. And then and then they will do it. Yeah. Um, that's good. Well, so good. Another good um, – it's great to have positive upgrades from Apple and to feel pretty good about 
uh, what they're doing. I like that. We had some good, you had some good things to say about the MacBook Pro. We got some good things to say about the iMac. Um, I just bought one. I mean, I was waiting to get a new machine. My iMac, uh, my Mac Mini was giving me trouble. I think because I think I'm running a mix of old software and new software and too much software that just was making it unhappy. Also, folks, I've got a Mac 911 column coming up that um, explains how you might. I'm using my new Mac, 32 gigabytes of memory. I'm like, God, it seems sluggish. Bring up uh, in terminal. I bring up the uh, top program, which is what I'm used to using. And it says, uh, you got no physical memory left. I'm like, so I bring up activity monitor, which you can find in applications, utilities folder and look at the memory tab. And it says, yeah, this thing is using 18 gigabytes of Ram. I'm like, what is this thing? It turns out there's this weird, bad interaction between some of the import export filters that are used with the iLife suite, which also encompasses aperture and some other older software, like iPhoto photos, um, you know, pages and so forth. That has an associated component that some people, when I search around on the net, I can find folks have had over the last three years runaway processes. So I killed the process um, because it's not doing anything at a system level that would cause me trouble. And the memory usage went away and now I've got like, you know, tons of memory free. I can launch software fast and run the same thing. Um, There's actually a way to disable the folder that contains these plugins, which you typically don't need. I haven't, I don't haven't yet come across where it said can't do an operation uh, because of it. Um, and Roman, you remember, I think I don't remember mentioned this on the podcast in the open dialog box in Mac OS, there's a media um, area where you can pull up stuff from uh, GarageBand and iTunes and um, photos, iPhoto, photo booth, all those things. Most people don't use it. I only started using it recently. It's really slow. That is also connected to this weird com.apple.media browser or something uh, problem. So when you disable the plugins, you no longer can use the media section of the open dialog box. But I also believe that nobody uses <laughs> nobody <laughs> uses that section. So maybe it's okay. I also have a 200 gigabyte photos library with uh, like 55,000 images in it that apparently can affect it as well. So if you've got a big image library in photos, you're seeing weird system slowdown, check activity monitor, look for a thing called, I think it's com.apple dot uh, media browse or something and you may uh, need to follow the instructions in an upcoming mac 911 to take care of it uh roma i think that brings us to the end of this podcast but you've got a little something to say about this podcast so let's uh let's talk about that yeah so uh unfortunately i have to announce that this is going to be the last episode of the podcast in its current form so this the Macworld podcast is going to be going on hiatus and we're going what? to be. I had no idea. Yes. <laughs> Glad that I have discussed this. Oh my I, god! No, I'm just kidding. Yes, sorry. <laughs> I'm, so total, I'm totally aware of this. Yes. So, but uh, but it'd be funny if I just sprung it on you just <laughs> now. <so. laughs> Maybe I should have done that. That's like it would have made for a uh, you know a good podcast. It's like, they call it like reality TV radio. That'd be great. Right. <laughs> but yeah, we're going on hiatus. We're going to be retooling a little bit. Uh, there have been a lot of changes here at Macworld staff-wise and resource-wise, so we're going to be retooling it, and hopefully sooner than later, uh, it'll be uh, back. Uh, we'll, we'll be back with the with a Macworld podcast, and probably possibly in a different form. So, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we'll keep you updated, and we'll let people know when the podcast is coming back. So. Uh, but I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank Glenn for all his work. I'd like to thank uh, 
Jim, who edits our podcast, Jim Metzendorf, uh, people that may not know that, uh, it, we po- don't just, right. We just don't talk. And then he magically shows up on the, uh, interwebs. Uh, there's actually some work that goes on so, behind it. And if Jim, you're looking for a podcast editor, folks, just, uh, get in touch with me. I'll put you in touch with Jim Metzendorf. He does a yes. great, great job. He does a lot of the, uh, incomparable, um, podcast, like random Trek also very, very fine person to work with. And, um, and I know I'm embarrassing him. He's listening to these words. And he's like, wait, what? Oh. All right. So made Jim red. Um, and Roman, thank you. It's been great hosting the the podcast. Uh, I took over from Chris Breen, who is a legend, and um, did this for quite a while with uh, Ms. Susie Oaks and now with you. And uh, it's been a hoot. But, uh, you know, things change. And uh, sometimes there's a natural length of things. And I think, you know, there's there's a lot of changes that happen to Apple and how it's getting covered. There's a lot of podcasts out there. And I will look forward to seeing what the uh, the retooled version uh looks like um may have slightly different elements that's my yes hint. and we, we could even have you on as a guest glenn so Ooh, i'd come back anytime i'll come back and blather yeah. don't worry um <laughs> well thanks roman so. and uh and thank you folks for being listeners and uh tune into this space uh for the retooled version after the hiatus is over folks you know where we're, we're at we're at macworld.com i'll still be right in there you can find me at the macworld.com you find me on the internet at glennf, G-L-E-N-N-F, flankfrank.com, or at glennf, with two N's, on Twitter. Uh, Macworld is, of course, at Macworld on Twitter, and facebook.com slash Macworld on the Facebook machine. Uh, this has been episode 565 for June 28th, 2018 of the Macworld Podcast. And sadly, I won't see you next week, but you can find me and, uh, and tune into this space for what's to come. <laughs> 